selling bagels. He put a sign up, bagels, 50 cents. Very first day he was in business, the jogger came by, threw 50 cents into the bucket, and he didn't take a bagel. The next day, the same guy comes jogging by, throws 50 cents into the bucket, but he didn't take a bagel. That whole week, the following week, for a whole month, this same guy jogs by in the morning, throws 50 cents into the bucket, but he never takes a bagel. Finally, the owner of the little shop chases him down, starts running with him stride for stride. And the jogger starts laughing and says, I know why you're jogging along with me. You want to know why I keep coming by your shop throwing 50 cents in your bucket but haven't taken a bagel yet. The owner said, no, I just want you to know that bagels have gone up to 75 cents. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you're giving more than you're getting? Do you ever feel like, you know, the more I give, it seems like the less I get? Do you ever kind of get the feeling like, okay, What's in this for me? Why do I keep doing this? We're beginning a brand new sermon series. This is a short little sermon series this morning on the life of a guy who I think is probably wondering, what's in this for me? What motivation do I really have to keep doing what I'm doing? And the sermon series that we're jumping in this morning is about a man that every one of you knows all about. In fact, I bet you learned about this man's story before you were six years old. As you see on the screen, we are talking about Jonah. Several years ago, I was in a Bible study with a young guy, and he said, Tim, I want to be right up front with you. I only know two things about the Bible. I know that Jesus is God's Son, and I only know that because of Christmas, and I know that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. That's all I know about the Bible. Now, I suspect he probably did know a few more things than that, and I also suspect that right now you're thinking, the Bible never says it's a whale. Because you know a lot about the Bible. But if you only know two things about the Bible, that's probably close enough. But we all know a little bit about this story. We probably all know, we think we, think we all know the whole story. But I'm going to challenge you after the next couple of weeks to look at this story with some fresh eyes and see if maybe there's not some powerful things in this story that maybe we've missed all these years. Now, there's a reason why everybody knows the story of Jonah. It is fascinating. But I think we do a disservice to his story and the power of the word if we relegate the story of Jonah just to a week of VBS or some children's songs. Because there really are some great lessons for us to learn. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time in the book of Jonah. And this morning, we're going to jump right in at the beginning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, who's Jonah? Well, he's the son of somebody named Amittai. We also know, we're going to find out pretty quickly, that Jonah is a prophet, prophet of God. Prophets had very specific duties. They weren't priests. They were prophets. They spoke for God. A prophet was a reformer. A prophet was an activist. Sometimes a prophet was an agitator. The life of a prophet wasn't necessarily a comfortable life. wasn't necessarily an easy life. Jonah's life is about to get a little more uncomfortable than it has been. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. 
when you hear from God, and sometimes you will hear from God, sometimes God's message is just that simple. I want you to go somewhere. I want you to do something. I want you to go to Nineveh. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But a little bit of background first about Jonah. Of course, he's a prophet to Israel. He's not a prophet to any other nation but Israel. In fact, Jonah didn't really care about any other nation other than Israel. Uh, it's interesting, God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And what's even more interesting is the way that God phrases that command. He didn't tell Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh. He told Jonah, go and preach against Nineveh. Jonah, I want you to go warn them. I want you to call them to repentance. I want you to convince them to stop doing what they're doing. I want you to tell them something that they're probably not going to want to hear. I have a little bit of experience in this. When you tell people things that they don't want to hear, very rarely does it go over very well. And you need to know something also about this great city of Nineveh to kind of understand the dynamics of what's going on here. Nineveh was not an Israelite uh, city. This was a pagan city. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. In the 7th and 8th centuries B.C., Assyria was the world power at the time. Assyria was a military juggernaut. And their foreign policy basically was genocide. They wiped people off the face of the earth. You remember when Israel was split into two kingdoms, there was a northern kingdom with ten tribes, southern kingdom with two tribes. The northern kingdom was invaded and basically obliterated by, yeah, Assyria. So you get the idea of just how Israelites felt about the Assyrians. Um, Assyria was so hated that the prophet Nahum said this about her, about Nineveh specifically. Woe to Nineveh, city of blood, full of lies, crammed with plunder. Nahum's going to have a, 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 a name for Nineveh. And it's not the Big Apple. And it's not the Windy City. Woe to Nineveh, city of blood. How would you like to have your dad come home and say, we're moving to the city of blood next week. I'm going to raise my family in the city of blood. Doesn't really sound like a destination point, does it? Nahum goes on to say this, The dead are lying in the streets, bodies, heaps of bodies everywhere. Men stumble over them, scramble to their feet and fall again. All this because Nineveh sold herself to the enemies of God, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty, then taught them all to worship her false gods, bewitching people everywhere. No wonder I stand against you, says the Lord Almighty. The Assyrians, the inhabitants of Nineveh, weren't just uh, hated by the Israelites. It really went beyond that. And to get the kind of emotions that were really in play here, to kind of get an idea of what's going on, the best analogy I could come up with is if you went back to like maybe Nazi Germany in the 30s and early 40s. To think about a world power that would come in and um, kill your children. Imprison your brothers, brutalize your sisters. Now, and you start to get the idea of why Jonah is a little bit hesitant to go preach against the city of Nineveh. 
The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And you start to understand Jonah's hesitation. Nineveh wasn't exactly on Jonah's radar. In fact, the last place that Jonah wanted to go, the last place he wanted to, to preach was the city of Nineveh to a bunch of Assyrians. But here's a truth that you need to think about from time to time. And every now and then during this series, we'll stop and try to figure out what this whole story means to me. But Nineveh is the place where God calls you to go. But you don't want to go. Nineveh is that place where God says, I want you to go, and you're thinking, but I don't want to go. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is fear, trouble. Nineveh is, is uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. What do you do when God tells you to go to Nineveh? Not geographically, but what do you do when God tells you to do something and you don't want to do it? What do you do when God tells you to go somewhere and you don't want to go? Because make no mistake, God will tell you to do some things that you don't want to do. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's going to ask you to do some things that you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable with. And you're going to be able to give some reasons why you don't want to do it. And it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But God's going to ask you to do some things that might be a little bit uncomfortable. What do you do when God tells you, I want you to go somewhere, and I want you to do something, and you're convinced, but I don't want to. Well, we're going to take a look at what Jonah does and see if we can't draw some lessons from that. Jonah's response to God's word is very telling. It tells us a little bit about Jonah. I think it also tells us about human nature. And really to appreciate Jonah's response to God, you've got to be a little bit aware of the, um, the geography involved here. Um, I've got a map. Jonah is in Joppa down here at the bottom right-hand corner. God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is almost due east of Joppa. It's a little over 500 miles. But Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So rather than head due east about 500 miles, Jonah gets in a boat and sets sail for Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles away from Joppa. Jonah could not have been going in a more opposite direction than where God asked him to go. Jonah was obviously trying to get as far away as he possibly could get from where God has called him to go. Notice verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, a couple things that we need to talk about and learn from Jonah's response. The first thing, is interesting, the text says that Jonah ran away from God. The text makes that statement and then later on Jonah is going to admit to running away from God, which sort of brought up the question to me, did Jonah really think he could get away with that? I mean, come on. Did Jonah really believe that he could run away from God? Jonah, of all people, what's Jonah's job? What's his profession? He is a prophet. Did Jonah really think that he could run away from God? And my opinion is, just my opinion, I think the answer is yes. I think Jonah was convinced that he could get away with it. 
that he could, that he could dodge it, that he could duck it, that he could actually could run away from God. Because I think the same thing that we convince ourselves of. See, here's the deal with disobedience. Disobedience requires the illusion that I won't get caught. We somehow have to convince ourselves when we choose to be disobedient, and it's a choice, we somehow have to convince ourselves, I can get away with this. I'm not going to get caught. I can manipulate the situation. I can control the outcome here. But the deal is, when I choose to disobey, I have to, that requires the illusion that God's not right here with me. You now we talk about God's omnipresence. We talk about the fact that God is always with us. But when I choose disobedience, I've got to somehow convince myself God's not really here, not all the time. I somehow have to convince myself God doesn't really know. And God doesn't really care what's going on. I've got to separate myself from God. And it happens all the time, by the way. You know, you can know that God is calling you to get involved in some relationship, to deal with a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's in the family, or maybe it's with your children, a situation with your parents, maybe it's a situation with a coworker, and you know God's will is God wants me to do something in this situation. But that's a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm going to set sail for Tarshish. Or maybe you have a feeling that that God wants you to get involved in someone's life. That God wants you to serve someone. You know, God maybe has put it on your heart. We kind of we struggle with using that kind of phraseology, but I I think it's biblical. That God's put it on my heart that here's somebody that you know there's people with some needs. I have some resources. I feel like it's God's will that I help this person, this family, get involved in this situation, but it could be messy. It's going to be, you know, take up all my time. I'm going to sell for Tarshish. Or maybe God wants you to witness for him. There's someone that you know, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody you work with, and you know they're searching for answers. And they're certainly, I think, open to have spiritual conversations, and I know how much they need Jesus, but what would that do to my friendship? What would that do to the you know, dynamics? And uh, that's, That'd be weird. So I'm going to set sail for Tarshish. Maybe God's asking to loosen up your grip on your checkbook a little bit, but that's scary, so I'm going the other direction. Maybe God's just asking you to show a little bit of forgiveness and kindness and gentleness, to infuse a little bit of love into some situation. You know that's God's will. You know that's what God wants you to do. But you're not ready to do that just yet. I'm not ready to forgive that person. I don't want to be gentle with that person. So you set sail in the other direction. And that's what Jonah does. Jonah is able to convince himself the exact same delusion that we're able to convince ourselves over and over again. I can run from God. I can willingly disobey God. And he's either not going to know or he's not going to care. And I can get away with it. And maybe you're kind of sitting here this morning thinking, hmm, it's kind of what I've been doing. 
I know you're here and you're singing the songs and you're nodding your head and you look pretty good to everybody else, but in your heart of hearts you know, I've kind of been sailing away from the will of God. I haven't been sailing toward the will of God. But if Jonah's story teaches us anything, it teaches us that we can't run from God. Let's get back to the story. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. This is a major league storm blows up. These are professional sailors. They don't panic easily. They are panicked now. Panicked to the point of they are throwing the cargo overboard. They're throwing the stuff that's going to pay the bills overboard. They're throwing their wages overboard. Why? Because they're convinced they're about to die and they're doing whatever it takes to stay alive. Here's another thought. When the sea is calm, you can pray to any God. When everything's going great, any God will do. When, when there's, there's no storms in your life, it doesn't matter what your perception of God is. It doesn't really matter how seriously you take God. You can pray to any God. There's some incredible irony in this story. In, in, in ancient culture, outside of Israel, uh, monotheism wasn't really bought into. You know, other nations had all kinds of gods. And they prayed to all kinds of gods for all kinds of things. Every family, every clan had their own gods. And so they're all praying to their own gods. But I want you to look and see what Jonah's doing when this storm hits. Verse 5, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and will not perish. Now notice the irony here. Here's the captain, a Gentile captain, on a pagan ship, and the pagan captain is doing what prophets of God usually do, calling people to prayer, while the prophet of God is doing what pagans usually do, ignoring God, ignoring prayer, kind of refusing to, to take that route. And so the, the pagans on the boat are trying to figure out what's going on. They cast lots trying to see who they can pin this thing on. The lot falls to Jonah. And so they ask Jonah, what's going on? What's your story? And Jonah comes clean. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Jonah says, I'm not talking about your little G gods, your little make-believe gods. I worship the Lord, capital L the Lord of heaven, who, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. <coughs> Excuse me. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and you'll become calm. <coughs> I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah finally comes to the realization running from God really wasn't such a great idea. Turns out God knew where I was all along. So 
Jonah says, pick me up and throw me overboard. Interesting, the sailors don't want to do it. They don't, they don't want to throw Jonah overboard. Instead, verse 13, <coughs> excuse me, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Their lives are at stake. But they don't want to throw this Hebrew stranger to his death. More irony. You know, these pagans on the ship are showing a whole lot more compassion to this Hebrew stranger than this Hebrew stranger who happens to be a prophet of God was showing towards the people of Nineveh. Which leads to another, I think, at least a point to, to consider. And that is, we need to be really careful when we start judging who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. When we start trying to decide who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, hey, do it, you're a lifesaver. Thank you so much. We need to be, we need to be careful about taking upon ourselves. Because I think Christians in a lot of ways are, are notoriously guilty of this. And I think maybe that's why a lot of people have a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth about Christianity. Because we seem to, to give the uh, uh, illusion of we know who God likes and who God doesn't like. And by the way, He likes us and He doesn't like you. So the sailors on this ship try to handle the situation themselves. They try to row back to land. They can't do it because the storm actually gets worse. But notice again, more irony here. They've been praying to their gods, little g gods, their make-believe gods. But that's not who they pray to now. Verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord. Lord, capital L, Lord. They cried to Jehovah. They cried to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They cry out to the God of Jonah. O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to Him. As the scene plays out in real time, Jonah says, throw me overboard. Interesting, Jonah doesn't jump overboard. He says, you have to throw me overboard. They do. He's sinking to his death. Running away from God always comes at a price. There's always a price to pay when you run from God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God has given us the dignity of choice. We're free to choose to live our lives however we want. We can choose whatever action we want to take we do not have the privilege of choosing the consequences of those actions. We choose for ourselves what we want to do, but we don't get to choose the consequences of our actions. And when you run from God, there is always a price to pay. There are consequences involved in trying to run away from God. See, Jonah is trying to convince God, God, I know where this path is going to lead. I know how this thing is going to play out. It's not going to be good. It's not going to end well for me or them. It's a waste of time. And God's trying to convince Jonah, I know what I'm doing. 
There's a reason why I want you to go to Nineveh. You don't know how it's going to play out. You have no idea what I have in mind for this situation. And even though Jonah is not quite ready to give in, at this point in the story, he's ready to give up. He's ready to quit running. You know, the storm couldn't be worse. He knows he's going to die. The sailors pick him up. They throw him overboard. The storm does die down. And in Jonah's story, he begins sinking to the bottom of the sea. And then God steps in and does something that preachers are going to talk about and little kids are going to sing about, I guess, till Jesus returns. No, God does something amazing. But I don't want you to miss one last piece of irony in this part of the story. That pagan ship that was headed for Tarshish, that pagan ship becomes a place of worship. Nobody could have saw that coming. Jonah never could have dreamed that that could have happened when he decided to run from God. Those Gentiles on that ship, they cry out to the Lord. They pray to the Lord. They offer sacrifices to the Lord. They make vows to the Lord. We never talk about this part of the story. Now, the story of Jonah isn't just about Jonah and Nineveh and a big fish. It's also about God doing something on a boat with a bunch of people who didn't know who God was. And then they turn and start worshiping the one true God. I want to talk about irony. Gentiles, pagans, worshiping the God of Israel, while the prophet of Israel is sinking to what looks to be certain death. But of course, you know it's not certain death. Because you know how the story goes. And next week, we're going to pick the story up right there. And we're going to see really that Jonah's adventure is really just beginning. I'm going to give you a little bit of a tease for next week. I mentioned running from God always comes at a price. Running back to God always comes with a blessing. No matter where you are, no matter how far away you might be, running back to God always comes with a blessing. The direction of God is always the right direction to be running. Now this morning... Maybe you've been running from God in some really obvious ways. You know it and everybody knows it. Maybe you've been running from God in some very subtle ways. No one would know it. Most people would never believe it. But you know. You put your head on your pillow at night and you know, I'm not sailing toward the will of God. I'm sort of floating in the opposite direction. And maybe you don't even realize it. You know, Satan is so subtle. And Satan is so effective. And maybe it takes something like revisiting an old story that you've known all your life to realize, I'm not headed toward the will of God. That's not where I'm sailing. So as we close, just a couple challenges and questions. Where is it that God's calling you to go? And you're pushing back. What is God calling you to do? And you are sure how it will play out if you do. You know what God's will is. You know what the right thing to do is. You're smart people. But you're convinced that it would be a mistake. That it's uncomfortable. Maybe even a little bit dangerous. Is it possible that God's asking you to go to Nineveh? Is it God that, is it possible that God is actually asking you to do something that would scare you to death?
that is so far out of your comfort zone, that is so far removed from your radar, that you would never even think of it on your own, and then somehow God puts it on your heart. And you decide, I don't really want to do that. Nineveh could be the safest place for you. And what I mean by that is, you're on your edge of your seat now, aren't you? Advance that once for me. What I mean by that is, wherever God wants you to be is the safest place for you to be. Wherever God is calling you to be, that's the safest place for you to be. Whatever God is calling you to do, that's the best thing for you to be involved in. Because God knows what He's doing. Because there's a reason why God has asked you to go somewhere. And there's a reason why God has asked you to do something. There's a reason why God has put you in a position to make a difference in somebody's life. There's a reason why God has asked you to do the right thing and make some situation better. Because God knows what He's doing. Today, maybe you've been running from the will of God and you're tired of running that direction. You know, the storm's getting worse. You know, you're, you're at the point of panic. Who do you call out to when you're at the point of panic? And some of you are there now. It's the one true God. Maybe you're ready to stop running. To turn toward those blessings and know that the will of God is the safest place, the best place for me to be. If we can help you in any of those kind of decisions or conclusions, really if anything's going on in your life that is a church family, we can help you with. There'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium to meet with you. You can come join us there while we stand and sing. My stubborn will I